0: Hi, thanks so much for having me, Cheryl. Oh, it's a pleasure. And all the way from Perth. Carrie is an author and a journalist. She is the author of a non-fiction work, You Take the High Road and I'll Take the Bus, based on her weekly satirical newspaper column. Her widely acclaimed debut novel was called Afternoons with Harvey Beam. And she's got a new novel. It's called So Many Beats of the Heart. And it's about how the weight of time can take its toll on long-term relationships. Very topical at my age. Carry, <laughs> mine too. Yes. So you're a journalist, is that' right. By trade,
2: yes. And like yes. most journalists, we've got a, you know, every journalist has a book inside them, and that's where it should
0: stay. But mine found their way out. And also, I guess journalists have to be, at the moment, a little bit a jack of all trades, really, because work is up and down, isn't it?
2: Well, the traditional roles are all vanishing quickly. Mm-hmm. there's barely any left. So, yes, you're having to be agile and look elsewhere and. Um, draw on the same skill set, you know, which is essentially, you know, um, communication and inquiry and research, but apply it to to different areas, which, you know, gets harder and harder as you get older, I think. Mm,
0: definitely. Okay. So tell me how you came to your career, came to writing, go right back. So you wanted oh, right to be a back. journalist?
2: Well, I, before I'd made that decision, I guess I became fascinated with um, stories and storytelling, thanks to a a grandmother who was, um, she was a friend of the library where I where I grew up in Mackay and she would take me along to her sessions for, you know, go two to four hours long and I would um, be immersed in this world of stories and I think that's, when I think about it, that is where it began. Um, she also gave me uh, my first diary and um, and I didn't even know what a diary was or what the purpose of it was, but that's when I started to write. She said, write what happens in your day. I quickly realised that what happens in your days usually pretty dull so I started embellishing it and I think that's (laughs) why I was always picturing a reader and so I think that's where it began storytelling but when you go to you know a guidance counsellor session in high school and you tell them you love stories and reading and writing and you're not particularly good at maths or anything else they generally point you in the direction of journalism Mm. never to be a writer right no that's never presented as an option that's always plan b or c
0: yeah, yeah, or it's pie in the sky, isn't
2: it? Yeah, and I and I did. I, I, I swallowed that information. I, I believed that for a long time, to the point where I didn't think I had license to write anything creatively until I was, you know, late thirties. And so I tell people, younger people now, um, anyone who'll listen, to not leave it that long. You can tell your stories. You know, as early as you want, and you should.
0: Well, and I, I mean, I see people starting to write. I've spoken to authors on this podcast who started to write in their Mm. sixties. So it it does come to people at different stages, I think. Talk to me about becoming a journalist. So talk to me about that career path, and then what led to your first nonfiction book.
2: So I uh, went to university in Brisbane, and I was fairly much groomed for radio. Radio seemed to be where I was being pushed by my lecturers, and 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 I really. Enjoyed it, And so I always thought I would work in radio. But the first job that I got, um, and you know, you're so desperate when you're starting out, you'll just take whatever first job comes your way. Don't question it and work. Don't think of it in terms of like a long term career plan. Just say yes. Well, that was a job in print. It was for a magazine publishing company. And consequently, I just never got back to radio. And so I think that frustration sat with me for a long time. So that when the time came, when I thought, "Okay, I'm I'm going to have a crack at writing this novel that I've been thinking about for forever," um, I've I based the, the central character as a as a radio host, a, a middle aged jaded shock jock. So I fulfilled that. Um, you know, I, I got there in the end, sort of.
0: Mm. With your personal journey, so you grew up in Perth, did you?
2: No, no. I grew up in Mackay in in central Queensland. Yep. Left there when I was 17 to go to university. That was the only way to go. There was no university there then. And from there lived um, up and down the East Coast. You know, I've lived in Brisbane, Sydney. My husband's from Melbourne. We only moved to Perth 12 years ago for for my husband's, for a job that he got that has long since dissipated and... um, but we think we've landed where we want to stay. It's a beautiful place. We've met lovely people. And the thing about Perth is when people come to visit you, you know they really want to visit you. It's <laughs> such it's a, long a long way.
0: way. Yeah, yeah, It
2: really you is. You know,
0: I quite like Perth and I think I'll be visiting, well, I'll be coming over to WA in August. But one thing that struck me about my first trip was the light and the sky.
2: Yeah, it's really bright. It is. It's and magnificent. I, it is. And... You know, now that I've been here a while, you, you take it for granted and, to, and then when you go back and visit somewhere else, you realise, you're reminded of just how bright and sunny it is all the time. I, what I love about it too, it, less of a physical thing, is is more of a, um, a social thing, I think, is the isolation that we're famous and infamous for. It, it does shape the oeuvre of the state, the personality of the state. And, for example, the writing community here, I find you know, really inclusive and supportive and there's there's no sense of like looking over your shoulder to see what Sydney's doing or Melbourne's doing. I mean Do you
0: no, know, I totally agree with you. I'm so glad you brought that up because I'd forgotten about it. Every time I speak to an author from Western Australia, they will mention a fellow author. Mm. It doesn't happen with everybody else. It just no. doesn't. And also I went there a few years back and you know, I asked an author to organise, you know, would maybe authors like come to, like to come to meet me and we'll, you know, have a function. And anyway, we sourced this pub and I thought four or five people would come up. I was working with Rachel Johns, who you know, um, mm-hmm. and Tess Woods, who uh, is wonderful. And they said, okay, okay, leave it to us, we'll organise it. And I thought, I wonder how many people will show up. Well, 25, I think 25, wow. 30 people showed up. But what was more wow was how that everybody knew each other in the room. was yes. pulling me over, come and meet, you know, so and so. She, you know, like everybody knew what everybody else was writing. Everybody knew, and it seemed to me that everybody had read everybody's books, and it yep. was definitely a sense of community.
2: That's right. And I was just at the Margaret River on the weekend for the Margaret River Writers Festival, and it's exactly as you as you paint it. All the writers there. Um, already we know each other we we attend Mm -hmm. each every event we attend each other's launches we attend each other's conversations there's a lot of genuine um back padding and encouragement there that i don't think you can manufacture um it's just it's just got to be encouraged and nurtured Mm -hmm. and appreciated
0: yeah no there's definitely some of it do you know i went to new york one year um, ages ago now pre-covid obviously all life is pre-covid i did this wonderful house swap in williamsburg right and so i interviewed i decided i was going to interview a whole lot of New York writers and I would go to one and he or she might have been you know one block up from the other and I'll say oh do you know so and so they live the next block up no no oh, there was no, no connection and what I discovered afterwards were they're all really lovely people but there wasn't an avenue for connection either that were writers festivals really aren't a thing over there if you mm. like mm. and so there's really unless they're introduced by someone there's no way of, of people meeting each other so we've got that to a certain extent I think in New South Wales and Victoria but no mm. near as much as WA mm. um, you know that's fantastic and I see that all the time and you I see- mean unfortunately our isolation has become a bit of a joke in the past couple of years where we
2: literally yes. cut ourselves off from it everyone i'm glad people are coming back and they've forgiven us
0: yeah but you know we all did it in our own way didn't we i think about all the strict lockdowns we had even here you know in sydney which were really tough for me i found them really mm. challenging mm. um and then i think back now at how loose life is and how almost back to normal we are and i think was it worth it but then i read a whole lot of stats uh, just recently that yes of course it was it's saved Hundreds of mm. thousands of lives, like the human toll, could have been a lot higher. A lot worse.
2: Yeah, it was painful, but it was um, it was yeah. essential.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, when did you write your first book? So
2: I wrote, as you mentioned earlier, the first one was nonfiction. It was really, I'm not, I'm not terribly proud of it, actually, to be completely honest. It's way back in 2005, and it was really just a cobbled together selection of um, of columns. That I'd been writing. I'd been writing a syndicated newspaper column for several years. That was basically when I when I did, when I looked at the theme of it all. I think it was sort of a celebration of mediocrity, and um, that was the hook upon which I hung this this pitch for the for, for this book. And someone went for it, and that was great. It, it, you know, it, it sold a, a humble amount, and um, it was nice to be published. But it didn't scratch the itch that I had, which was the desire to write fiction it was yes it was a book but I still that it wasn't um I didn't have the sense of satisfaction that I did when I published my my first novel because that was something I'd wanted to do for a very long time um I consume so much fiction and I find so much meaning and sense making in fiction for me it's such a an important part of, of who I am and how I make sense of the world and human relationships so I didn't just want to observe and consume forever. I wanted to to dive in as well. So I mean, I'm 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 glad I I did. And 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 if that hadn't been published, you know, I don't. I, there would be no regret because the process itself, I found, you know, like no other writing experience. Having written journalism for you know several decades, which I you know found very satisfying, but um, it, there's no comparison with the headspace you get into and what you can get out of writing. A full-length novel about something that you're really interested in and passionate about—it's the cheapest therapy I've ever managed to pull off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you: So, did you find that there was going back to your non-fiction? Was there? Did you find that there was a, a learning curve going from short form to long form?
2: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean. Okay yeah definitely. That is the hardest part. and I think you know I talked to a lot of um would be writers over the weekend um at the you know keen readers who are also frustrated writers down at margaret River, and it's it's always the the, the most common challenge, the common obstacle that they hit is is just con you know conceptualizing. The arc of a novel—it's—it's it's such a big thing to get your head around that it can be paralyzing. It can stop you from from writing those first words and not or not throwing out every chapter that you write. And someone said to me, and I think it was the thing that actually got me over the line in finishing my first novel. Um, someone said to me, Carrie, it's a game of inches, and that really spoke to me because I I then. Always approached each writing session, even even if you know it, it wasn't particularly yielding a lot of words or anything good, it was another inch. You know, and maybe even an inch. I'd end up throwing out, but I think the journalist in me needed to to have a uh, something visual like that, something to to break it down into manageable parts. Mm. And I still do that. I still do that um, because when I th- think too much about where I need to go across seventy to a hundred thousand words, um, that can be a bit
0: paralyzing. Mm. That really is, is, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And I think that that's very good advice. Do you know, as a reader, still, and, you know, I've been reading for a long time, obviously, I am still in awe of how a thread of a book comes together, mm. how that, that a writer manages to do that, particularly when you've put down a really good book. You think, yes, I've loved the story, but, and me, I always do think about the technical aspect, but I think, how did you pull that together? I think
2: writers are just as fascinated I think you know that's why we listen uh, I'm not I'm sure I'm not speaking for myself but I listen to so many interviews and podcasts with other writers I'm constantly you know fascinated with how they do this thing um maybe, you know sometimes I'm I'm looking for tips on how I can do this thing better but um I have a huge respect for the fact that it is so individual everyone has the you know I once interviewed Marcus Suzak, you know Book of Thieves and about his writing process and it's Oh, it was extraordinary how meticulous he is about the planning, the the notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of planning to the point where each day, uh, you know, that he sits down to write, there's there's almost nothing left to chance. There's there's nothing that's going to happen organically that he hasn't planned. Um, I found that in, it fascinating. It's not me, but but at, on the, at the same, you know, by the same token, I'm I'm not the opposite of that. I I, don't, I can't just write stream of consciousness stuff and not know where I'm headed. So I think my my way that I'm you know semi happy with seems to be that I I don't start writing till I have about a sixty percent idea of of where I'm headed, and the rest that other forty percent. I I do trust that it's going to happen organically through the process of writing because stories unlock stories. So I need to have that theme. I need to have my my, my central character. But some of the other bits and pieces, they just find their way through in the writing process. And now after two novels, I trust more that that will happen. So I'm a little bit less scared that it won't. But having said that, I'm always a bit scared. I mean, it's it's a white-knuckle ride, it really is. (laughs)
0: I'm sure you've listened to enough authors say that, you know, even those that are up to their 20th book will tell you that it never gets easier.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: It just doesn't. You know, um, I think Lee Child, he told me that uh, every time he sits down to write that next book, he just has the same jitters as his first, you know.
2: Wow. Yeah, just to have that blank canvas in front of you. It's Um, pressure
0: in a way, isn't it? Yeah. um,
2: Yeah. I don't know why we do it to ourselves, but um. Oh, well, I'm uh, glad you do. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do think that um, you know, it, as it's going to sound a bit cliched, but I, I, it is so worth it in the end when you finally have that baby and it's out in the world, and people are connecting with it and coming back to you and wanting to talk about it and then telling you their stories because it's stimulated because your book stimulated something in them that they need to tell you. It makes that all the pain and self doubt
0: worthwhile. Mm. No, no, I can imagine that. So when you sat down to write your first fiction, you kind of were working blind, I guess, mm. <laughs> but you had 60% of the story. What kind of approach, was it the same work approach that you took to being a journalist? Was it that you sat down at your desk for five hours every day or what kind of day-to-day work approach did you take?
2: Well, that, that novel came, Afternoons with Harvey Bean had, a, had an interesting conception because it started, Yes, yes, I had the the idea in my head for quite some time, but as to when I was going to sit down and start writing it, that actually happened because of the intervention of my eldest daughter, who I think she was twenty one at the time, and she's a keen writer and a very prolific reader, and she said, Mum, I want to do that National Novel Writing Month, you know, Nano Remo. Um, where the concept is that you you know write x number of words a day every single day for a month and end up with a novel, and I and she said let's do it together so that we can motivate each other. I said okay, I'll give it a go, knowing that I already had a, something that I wanted to. Work on, so we did that. And about a week into it, um, Emily said to me, "Yeah, um, I'm over it." Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> classic, you know. Melanie, she's done. Um, I said, "Look, I'm going to stick with it because like this, this kind of works for me because this breaking it up into daily deadlines—that's who I am anyway. I'm a journo. I need a deadline, and I and I won't miss a deadline as long as you give me one." Um, so these daily deadlines work for me. And then I ended up with, I didn't end up with 50,000 words, which is the goal. I ended up with about 35,000 words because I am actually quite a slow writer because I edit as I go. And I liked the the 35,000 words. I like, I, I like the fact that self-doubt hadn't had a chance to creep in because NaNoWriMo gets this momentum going. And while the momentum was still going, I very cheekily, decided to send it along to Fremantle Press because I'd heard that they will accept unsolicited manuscripts for consideration, which is very good of them. And so I sent that 35... Oh, 35- living in Perth at the time? Yes, yep, right. so living in Perth. Yeah. So I sent it yeah. to them and then I didn't hear anything for months. So I assumed that it was rubbish um, because you don't have any basis of comparison for your first novel, really. Like you might be really bad at this. And then the phone rang one day when I was teaching at um, Murdoch Uni and um, it was Fremantle Press and they said, uh, look, we, we really like this, can you please send us the rest? And I thought, oh, my God, there is no rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, sure, 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 I'll uh, just yeah, get on yeah, to that and I'll have yeah. something to you shortly. Yeah. So that was very motivating. If someone, you know, that that made me think, yeah, I'm going to finish this.
0: Mm, very. I mean, that's kind of it, you know, I mean, it's not just luck because you've written something good, but it is a, a, a really great way to start, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it really yeah. was. Uh, and that was, a, you know, a, a great publishing and and writing experience that, you know, they did a great job and and got it out there into the world. And um, even though when I started it, I definitely was never thinking about publication. It was, you know, which took a lot of pressure off. Whereas this last, this latest book had, it was a completely different writing experience and it was heaped in pressure. So so um again I had this um idea in my head about, you know, that that was ruminating for quite some time, this 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 topic that I'd become kind of obsessed about, but I hadn't done anything about it. I was working full-time and then some um and I've always done creative writing's just always been squeezed into the crevices of, of paid work. The job I had at the time, um, just before COVID hit, I was running the the comms department for a university, which at the before COVID hit was quite a, a nice, easy job, and then it quickly became. No, no comms team is set up for a pandemic, and universities have a lot of pain points when it comes to, came to a pandemic. And so, my job quickly became um, seven days a week, sixteen hours a day, no weekends, just relentless, cancer growing stuff. As any comms manager will tell you about that period, and I did that for months and months and months. And Since so I started to think, God. Um, the back end was falling away, the, the kids were um, not being given much attention, nor was the marriage. And I thought, how am I going to get out of this? I don't want to be that person who quits during a pandemic because <laughs> you're going to be that person for life. So I thought, I know, I'll just say that I'm going to go off, off and write this next book because that's legitimate. They know I've written a book before, you know, and um, I might have suggested I had a contract,
0: which I didn't. And so, It's like taking a sabbatical.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it so carries off to write a book and everyone was really happy for me and they had, you know, we had cake and cards and and it was. I thought, good. I've done this. I've done this well. I have not burnt a bridge, and I'm not. A, I'm not going to be seen as a quitter. Mm-hmm. And then I remember sitting down the next day after my last day and looking at the computer and going, Oh my mm-hmm. God, I have to write this book because I've told everyone that I am. <laughs> public, public accountability is a yeah. very motivating force. <laughs> and I agree with that totally. <laughs> I, I had said to my husband, Look this is one thing I'm going to do. My intention is to write the book in six months and actually just um, for the first time, not work and just write. If I can do this in six months, I promise you it'll just take six months. Can we live on one wage for six months? And he said, you know, yep, it'll be a bit tight, but we can do it. And I said, thank you. Awesome. So that was great. And then two weeks later, he got sacked.
0: Oh gosh. (laughs) Oh my and God. It was quite in, the a, curve. in a pandemic. See how pandemic. it is that you yeah. can't leave, but somebody yep. can let somebody go like that. Yeah, yep, like that. But and so
2: suddenly we were wow. without income in a pandemic. And uh, look to... Talk it. about adding further stress to your life. It was incre- it was very, very stressful. Mind mm. you, it was also I think what got us through those first few months was the fact that everything felt so apocalyptic because it it just made you go, oh, well, the world's ending anyway. Mm -hmm. We started going out to lunch every Friday. We really had no
0: income coming in, but we were like, it's all ending. We'll just have some fun. Anyway, I need life savings because there's no life. (laughs) There's no life at the end of it. bought
2: a really expensive couch one day that we would never normally have bought. We were like, when are we going to have to pay this off? Anyway, joke's on us, still paying off the couch. But to his credit, my husband said, look, s- stick with plan A. I'll look for another job as fast as I can. But that took quite some time. But you still finished the book. And um, and I did. But it took me nine months to finish the book. And I treated it like a job. Nine I- months? <laughs> <laughs> takes me years. Well, yeah, that was quick. Like, I mean, the first novel took me three years, but it was, you know, it wasn't done in that daily way that I did this. I, I did this like a job. I put my my pants and bra on every day and went off to my friend's co working space and treated it like a job. And um, which is not to say, you know, it still isn't a, a piece of creative work that you you know that you're you're nurturing, but. It was a totally different writing experience.
0: Oh, look, listen, I hear you. I mean, I, I um, spoke with Isabella Rolandi, um a few months ago. I was in San Francisco and she said to me, oh, and she's 80 this year and she still walks into that office at 9am. Mm. She absolutely is disciplined in her workday. It's a workday. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I showed myself in that, in that process that I can write more each day than I used to think I could. And that I can um, focus more, and that I, and that sometimes even on those days when you wake up and you you just know the creativity is not going to flow, I still now commit myself to sit down and 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 do something, whether it's reading back over what I've just written or or, or doing some fresh writing that may not be too crash hot. I just know the words aren't going to put themselves down any other way. So so even though that was a very high pressure. Writing experience, it did teach me a few things about how I need to work in future.
0: Mm. And what did your husband think of the book? Yeah, well, you know, the good thing <laughs> after is, all of that was he really worried. <laughs> no, that that's the, the thing. The, the, the lucky thing for me,
2: um, as a huge overthinker, is that I married an underthinker. <laughs> Well, as they say,
0: opposites attract.
2: Yeah, he just, he doesn't get, uh, he get—he—he—he he was never panicky about the fact that I was exploring middle-aged marriage and he could have been. And, you know, I was warned off it too. I was warned off the idea uh, by a friend in publishing early on who said, to, who gave me about three examples of people who'd written about topics that were very close to home and consequently, consequently in that process blew up their lives, you know, ended marriages, you know, moved into ashrams, you know, just, she said to me, Carrie, this it is a very dangerous thing that you're doing. Because at the time, you know, part of the reason I was attracted to the idea of, you know, relationships in midlife was um, not just the fact that many around me were had, were, were crumbling and, and ending for a period there, um, but mine was pretty wobbly for a while. So it was, her advice was good, but it it didn't deter me to the point of not writing. It just gave me a really good sense of self-awareness going into the project. And I did learn a lot about relationships and midlife marriage through the process that I think probably will serve us well. It's not to say that my marriage isn't still, you know, is immune from all the things that life can throw at it. It's certainly not. But I, joke, I jokingly say to friends that if it does all go pear-shaped, I've, I've
0: already done my therapy. I'm good to go. <laughs> Mm. Uh, and, you know, what right. I think too, I think there are a lot of readers who relate and respond to that. We love reading fiction but we love seeing ourselves in what we read. Mm,
2: I, I do. I, I've never gone to fiction just as a pure escape. It, it is an escape at times but I more often go to it to mm. find something that is going to teach me more about this, this life that we lead and the human condition and relationships They, you know, what I'd noticed the reason that this became such a preoccupation for me, this particular topic, was there was this period of time, about three or four years ago, where in my circle, there are about six or seven long-term relationships or marriages end, all for different reasons, but the but the common, but the vintage was the common thing. You know, they were all 15, 20, 25 year relationships. And I thought, what's what's going on here? You know, this is interesting because you know, rather than time being this, um, you know, this support underneath them, time had become, you know, this weight over the top of them. And, you know, I became a bit fascinated with time. And I started to become obsessed with the you know, with the question of, you know, are we, we, is it really reasonable to expect us to be, to move through space and time at the same rate as another person and end up in this thing called middle age, wanting the same things. And, Mm. Um, it's almost
0: a miracle that you do.
2: And that, well, I was looking at the ones that do too, and, and and thinking, are they really happy? You know, I was just, I was fascinated enough that when I, when I become obsessed with something long enough, you know, a book project isn't far away because it's that way of really unpacking it all and and working through it, throwing up the bonnet and looking at all the bits of the car, and you know, not necessarily coming to any resolution or conclusion, but just understanding it all so much better. Mm.
0: All right, we're out of time, Carrie, but I just want one last question. Are you still having lunch with your husband on Friday?
2: <laughs> no, he, he got a job and, uh, ah. and I have too, but uh, we're still together. That's There's something for that to be said yeah. for that.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed no, our conversation. You. Yeah, thanks, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit
1: betterreading.com.au.